0: Andi, by Ivory Harlow. I, dear Mr. And Mrs. Rosenberg, I am writing to inform you I am resigning from my position as curator at Fine Furniture Imports, effective immediately. I flushed nine years of my professional life down the toilet working for you. Genevieve Rosenberg, you are a bitch and a bully. David Rosenberg, you are a passive-aggressive asshole. Perhaps once I am gone, you will realize how much work goes into the design, acquisition, and display of furniture at your store. "'Having never done it yourself, I am sure it will surprise you. "'Good luck finding your next peon. Sincerely, Andy, too.'" Andy didn't send that version of her resignation letter. Instead, she cut and pasted from a career website template. She gave two weeks' notice because she was a responsible adult, and she didn't want to leave her co-workers hanging. Plus, Andy did not want to tarnish her name and reputation. The Rosenbergs had power and influence in the furniture trade. The couple wouldn't have made a ripple in the industry as individuals, but together, they were a tsunami. David Rosenberg was a certified public accountant by trade. He had an incredible knack for numbers, but was clueless about the product and services behind them. Genevieve Rosenberg was an interior designer by trade. She had style and vision. The Rosenbergs built a boutique furniture empire spanning across the United States over 25 years. They launched Fine Furniture Imports in 1998 with the purchase of a small store in Chicago and a second store in New York City in 2005. The third store opened in South Texas in 2010. I was growing weary of the cold in Chicago and New York, Genevieve told Andy. I fell in love with the history and cultural heritage of San Antonio. David saw the proximity of South Texas to Mexico had a financial advantage— Mexico is the fifth-largest exporter of fine furniture in the world. They sold their homes in Chicago and New York and bought a mansion in San Antonio. Next door to country music legend George Strait, Genevieve liked to tell everyone, in 2014, Andy was working towards her Bachelor of Fine Arts in Interior Merchandising and Management at San Antonio's University of the Incarnate Word. The Rosenbergs hired Andi to curate hand-selected furnishings, art, and accessories for a 14,000-square-foot San Antonio showroom. Today, Fine Furniture Imports sells new and refurbished antique furniture and offers interior design services, original artwork, custom-made bedding, and draperies. Day-to-day, Andi works with furniture makers, dealers, and brokers in the Netherlands, Czech Republic, Poland, and Germany, as well as continental neighbors Mexico and Canada. Andy also facilitates design services with interior designers. The saying, people don't quit jobs, they quit bosses, rang true for Andy. The Rosenbergs may have been keen business people, but they were horrible to work for. Mr. Rosenberg was a sloppy cheapskate. His office had piles of paper stacked on every surface. It embarrassed Andy that vendors contacted her, angry about open invoices. Greedy bastards, he uttered under his voice. When she handed him a bill with payment terms shorter than net 90. He had the funds to pay, he just wanted to hang on to his money as long as possible. She had received two raises in nine years, which didn't even keep pace with inflation. Meanwhile, he viciously attacked clients with bills due. Genevieve Rosenberg was a micromanager. At first, Andy assumed it was because she was young and fresh out of college, but she continued to insist Andy CC her on every email and only use blue point zero seven ink pens on documents well into Andy's tenure. Andy never knew what to expect when Mrs. Rosenberg walked into work. On Monday morning, she was enamored by mulberry silk upholstery fabric. Drop what you are doing and source a dozen rolls. By Tuesday morning, she decided cheap crepe-backed satin was sufficient. What do you mean you already ordered mulberry? Cancel the order, she barked. Andy did not stay at Fine Furniture Imports because she thought things would get better. She stayed because a fine piece of furniture to her—what Bef Bourguignon was to Julie Child or what the Mona Lisa was to Leonardo da Vinci. Andy's job allowed her to have a hand in the production and sourcing of masterpieces for clients. She'd developed a robust network of brokers and dealers. Her inner circle included talented furniture makers and craftsmen. Clients that worked with her sought her out for future purchases. She was good at her job and everybody knew it except her bosses. The other reason Andi stayed at Fine Furniture Imports was her parents. Andy's parents immigrated to the United States from Taiwan in the early 70s after the 1965 Immigration Act. They worked in hospitality their entire careers. Andi's father was a night manager of a hotel. Her mother was a cleaning lady. They never complained about the long hours or back-breaking work. Her parents felt satisfied with jobs that provided food and shelter. They saved, determined to send their only child to college. Though her current salary was low for the industry, it was nearly as much as her parents' salaries combined. Quitting a job in her field of study would disrespect her parents and everything they sacrificed for her to get to where she was. Andy heard Michael's keys unlock the door to their apartment. How was your day? she asked. It was 11 p.m., and her husband was just getting home from work. He tossed his keys onto the kitchen counter and plugged in his cell phone. Andy was sitting at the counter, browsing Indeed Job Classifieds, on her laptop. You look pooped. I am. It wasn't unusually busy. But the cook's underprepped— a main burner went out and two servers called in. Michael was a general manager at Papado Seafood Kitchen. He began working there as a busboy in high school. After graduation, he attended the Culinary Institute of America in San Antonio. He started cooking at Papado, then transitioned into management. Michael often did double duty as both a manager and cook because of his operational knowledge and culinary know how. Like Andy, Michael felt lukewarm about his job. Also, like Andy, his love of the craft of cooking was the main reason he continued to work at Papado. He he envied the prestige and creative expression afforded his classmates' mates that went to work for small independent restaurants, but the Papado chain offered better pay and benefits. Unlike Andy, Michael was a long-term thinker. He knew that cooking would lose its appeal eventually, or he'd reach old age and not have the stamina to keep up with the physical demands of a fast-paced and fiery kitchen. Management was a solution, and the natural progression during his 13 years at Papado, the next day was Andy's day off. Michael didn't have to go in until 2.30 p.m. They spent the morning at the flea market, browsing for what Andy called undercover treasures. I thought I'd be further along in life by 32, Andy said with dismay. Don't be so hard on yourself. Easy for you to say. You manage 25 employees and serve 200 meals a shift. 90% of the meals I make are right off the Cisco truck. Heat and eat aren't exactly fulfilling my culinary dream. Michael unleashed his true talent in their tiny apartment kitchen. Each week they bought fresh and local ingredients from El Mercado Farmer's Market. Michael made lamb chops with pecan chipotle sauce, chili lime steak, and masa-battered fish tacos. It surprised Andy that he wanted to come home and cook after spending fifty hours working in a commercial kitchen. "'This is how I reconcile my lack of creative expression at work,' he said. Michael filled a black, leather-bound notebook with his own menus, recipes, and detailed notes. "'If there is ever a fire, you grab our wallets. I'm saving my notebook.' After a few moments of silence, Andy mustered the courage to tell him, "'I quit my job yesterday.' She tucked a strand of thick black hair behind her ear and cast her brown eyes downward, unsure how he would respond. Did something happen? Nothing that doesn't happen every day. Genevieve was in disdain about the patina of a new arrival. I suggested not to go with an artificial patina when I ordered it. She insisted. When it arrived, she threw a tantrum and blamed me. I am just fed up with her and with Mr. Rosenberg. Day to day I can do it, But when I imagine the next twenty years of my life working for them, I feel so heavy." Tears welled in her eyes. "'I am tired of tiptoeing around them to do my job. Yesterday I just couldn't do it anymore,' Andy moaned. "'Have you told your parents?' "'No.' Shame burned in her chest. "'They will say it's irresponsible to leap without knowing where I'll land. And they'll be right. But Michael, I'm at the point that I'll bust tables at Papado. At least we'd see each other more.' Andy and Michael had worked opposing schedules since they began dating. Andy had a traditional nine-to-five, and Michael worked peak papado hours on nights and weekends. Do you ever daydream about doing something else? No, come on. Managing Papado is not your dream job. Michael stopped at a flea market booth, picked up an antique rolling pin, and spun it. It's not my dream job, but fantasizing about doing something else is as far-fetched as going to the moon. You want to be an astronaut? Andy joked. I want to be James Beard. Who is James Beard? He was a famous American chef, cookbook author, and television personality. I don't actually want to be him, per se. I want to win a James Beard award as outstanding chef. That's not unrealistic. You are award material. Wait, I'm not done. He shushed her playfully. I want to win the award as the executive chef of a Michelin star restaurant. I want to do for Southwestern American cuisine what Emeril Lagasse did for the Southeast. Michael grew increasingly excited as he shared his dream job with Andy. My notebook is more than recipes and booking notes. They are drafts of my dream, categorized by appetizer, seasonal specials, entree, sides, and desserts. What would you do? He turned the conversation to her. Suddenly, Andy felt sheepish. She had never told Michael or anyone about her dream. I'd open an antique shop, Andy's antique furniture and home accents, I'd sell 20th-century pieces, Georgian leather chairs, Brutalist buffet tables, and Art Deco display cases, rich-colored Persian rugs, Tiffany desk lamps, and sconces. Her voice trailed off. She could see the shop in her mind's eye. You should go for it, Michael said, as if the decision was already made. I don't have the backbone to be entrepreneurial. We could lose everything. What do we have to lose? Our apartment? We can live in your shop. His comment made Andy giggle. I guess you're right, Andy said. I'll think about it, but I've got to get through the next two weeks working for the Rosenbergs first. Ivy, the saloon doors take up too much warehouse space, Genevieve grumbled. I want them out of here this week. Andy just informed her boss that Roman could not transport the special order item until a week from Monday. Genevieve called him to complain. She paced back and forth across the showroom, hand on her hip, shouting at the speakerphone, the delivery is 800 miles round trip. Roman told her. That's a day there and a day back. If you want it earlier than next week, you'll have to find someone else. Andy admired Roman for not letting Genevieve boss him around. He had the benefit of being a contractor, not her employee. Roman had a thriving delivery business with many clients. She needed him more than he needed her. Genevieve knew and hated the fact. Andy loved it. Roman had originally said he could transport the set of American Victorian mahogany-swinging bar doors today. The order was for a historic hotel, bar, and restaurant in a place called Mountaintown. The hotel owner, Sadie Dunn, contacted Andy a full year earlier looking for saloon doors. Andy didn't have any. Six months later, she stumbled upon some at a trade show. The heavy wood doors were a rich red-brown color, buffed and refinished to show no imperfections. Each door had a leaded and colored glass panel. Andy retrieved Sadie's inquiry email and called her about the special find. It was nearly double Sadie's budget, but she agreed a more perfect piece didn't exist. The sale was seamless. But Genevieve could always find something to complain about. This time, it was the amount of space they took up while waiting for delivery. Suddenly, Andy was stuck with a solution. She could deliver the doors herself. She was dreading her last two weeks of work. Delivering the doors would get her out of the office and away from Genevieve and David for two days. Genevieve hung up and let out an irritated growl. I'd be happy to deliver the doors. I mean, if it would help, don't be silly. You can't drive a delivery truck. I worked for a moving company during college. I drove a 26-foot truck with a ramp but we could get away with a cargo van to deliver the doors if I have help loading and unloading. The look on Genevieve's face suggested it was the most impressed she had ever been with Andy during her nine years of employment at Fine Furniture Imports. How soon can you deliver it? Tomorrow morning. That will be a big help. Thank you, Andy. Genevieve smiled, delighted she was getting her way. Andy smiled, delighted she was getting hers. V, Monday through Wednesday were slow days at Papado. Michael dedicated Mondays to restocking, arranging laundry service, scheduling staffing, and placing food service orders for the coming week. Tuesdays and Wednesdays were his weekend, which meant he would be off for the next two days to travel with Andy. Andy emailed Sadie to confirm the delivery to the hotel tomorrow afternoon. Sadie was delighted when Andy mentioned she'd do the furniture herself. She insisted Andy and her husband stay in a historic Mountain Town Hotel guest suite and have supper at the Bighorn Bar and Grill, the hotel restaurant, they were on the road to Mountain Town by 10 a.m. the next morning. April is the perfect time for a road trip across Texas. The wildflowers are in full bloom, Andy said. Texas blue bonnets, red Indian paintbrush, and black-eyed Susan wildflowers lined the interstate. And drivers pulled off the road to take selfies lying in a blanket of wildflowers. They even saw a professional photographer taking engagement photos of a young couple in the ditch. The Texas Department of Transportation sows 30,000 pounds of wildflower seed each year. Michael Googled the phenomena on his phone and read to Andy as she drove. tx. cares for 800,000 acres of right-of-way. There is an actual department rule prohibiting mowing until spring and early summer wildflower seasons are over. Andy felt inspired to pull over so she and Michael could take a selfie on a slope blanketed by yellow and burgundy coreopsis. They stopped at a winery in the heart of the Texas Hill Country for lunch, surrounded by endless acres of wine grapes. They sat on the beautifully landscaped patio, which was complete with a grandiose water fountain and a stone terrace leading to the vineyards. Andy was the designated driver, so Michael sampled enough wine for both of them. They delighted in a charcuterie board with cheeses and cured meats, dried apricots, sweet peppers, and pickled cucumbers. The hummus is so good, I can't stop eating it. Andy skimmed the top with a pita cracker, picking up a few pepitas and pieces of fire-roasted red bell peppers. Getting out of town made her feel at ease for the first time since she'd put in her resignation. "'This feels special,' Andi said. "'We should toast something.' "'Cheers to never seeing the Rosenbergs again,' Michael suggested. "'Cheers to a mini vaca on company time,' Andi countered. "'Cheers to the next chapter of your professional career,' he said, and lifted his wine glass to her sparkling water. "'Cheers.' Six, the hills flattened to rocky Permian Basin as they entered West Texas.' Known as the Trans-Pecos, the area is one of the largest oil and gas reserves in the world, rich with petroleum, natural gas, and potassium deposits. Thousands of pump jacks peppered the landscape as far as Andy could see. The only other infrastructure was the occasional oil well flare, which looked like building sized blowtorches in the middle of the oil fields. The basin was flat and seemingly endless. The GPS said they were 70 miles away, but there was not a mountain in sight, she began to wonder about Mountain Town's namesake. Suddenly, there was an abrupt change in terrain. Michael, look! She pointed through the windshield at an uplift in the distance. Oh, wow! Michael was speechless. The mountains had a green sheen. As they neared, it became apparent the sheen was Douglas fir, Arizona cypress, and ponderosa pines covering the stony mountain surface. Andy drove into a range of hills cut by rugged canyons. The valleys between the hills had scrubby desert conifers and short squat oaks. The last 20 miles to mountain town took 48 minutes to travel. I'm glad I don't get carsick. This is a roller coaster of a route, Andy said. She looked over at Michael who looked pale. Air might help. Open your window. Cool mountain air flooded the van. A hint of lemon and mint enhanced the fresh scent of mountain air. The highway slowed as they entered mountain town they passed a large, unassuming pole barn with a sign that read, Cowboy Church, Bible Study 9 a.m., Service 10 a.m., All are Welcome. A fuel station and a dairy queen were on the right side of the road, a saddle shop and taxidermist on the left. Blocks of mom-and-pop shops lined Main Street, a butcher, baker, galleries, gift shops, boutiques, and a movie theater with an old-fashioned marquee advertising two shows. The historic Mountain Town Hotel and its Bighorn Bar and Grill took up an entire block of Main Street. Andy pulled the van around the back to the building, per Sadie's instructions. Sadie was standing on the load dock before Andy could text that they arrived. "'I saw y'all on the security camera,' Sadie beamed. "'Rosario is sending Jose and Raul out to unload. How was the drive?' "'It was great,' Andy said. "'Excellent, actually.' Michael walked around to the driver's side to join their conversation. I'm Michael, Andy's husband, he said. I invited myself on the road trip, and now he's introducing himself. Andy rolled her eyes. Sadie, this is my husband, Michael. Michael, this is Sadie Dunn, owner of the historic Mountain Town Hotel and two other hotels and restaurant businesses in the area. It's a pleasure to meet you, Michael. I'm glad you enjoyed the road trip. The scenery was spectacular, and it's great to get out of the city. Michael shuffled over to assist Sadie's employees with unloading the doors. The men cut away the protective shrink wrap and shell. Andy watched Sadie's face for approval. OMG, these are amazing. Sadie ran her hand across the smooth mahogany doors. The glass looked so thick and rich. She embraced Andy in a hug. Andy was not a hugger, but Sadie's enthusiasm was contagious. Do you want to see where we are installing them? We'd love to. The Dunn hotels had been in the family for three generations. Steve Dunn, Sadie's husband, was the current operator. Grandpa Dunn purchased the hotels for pennies during the Great Depression. Daddy Dunn added amenities that travelers expected during the golden age of travel in the 1960s. Air conditioning, minibars, and televisions. Her husband Steve built restaurants with full-service bars at each location in the early zeros. The Orland Hotel is 24 miles northeast. It hails from the Roaring Twenties. It has a bold palette interior with jade-green-velvet loungers and gold ornamental details, Sadie said. The restaurant offers light fare, finger foods, and hors d'oeuvres. The primary draw is the speakeasy bar. Access is by reservation only. Customers get a unique password when they make a reservation. A host escorts them through a back hallway with geometric wallpaper, dimly lit, to enter the dark-paneled bar. The second hotel El Viajero is about 30 minutes south of Orland and 26 miles east of Mountaintown. The name translates to The Traveler. It dates back to the 1880s. The original structure was adobe made by Spanish and American Indian workers. Cantina Luga serves traditional Mexican food. The bar has locally distilled mezcals and brewed cerveza. The historic Mountaintown Hotel completes the triangle. It was built in 1912 to accommodate the travelers passing through Mountaintown by train. You might have noticed the train runs right alongside Main Street. You can see the depot from the lobby, Sadie said. She led them through a dimly lit hallway with dark walls and wainscoting. The lobby had high ceilings, rich wood trims, and muted colors. Rustic leather sofas and armchairs were arranged around a cowhide area rug. A giant taxidermy longhorn hung over the fireplace. We will hang the door here, Sadie said. Padding the framed entry between the hotel lobby and the bighorn. Andy could see the long mahogany bar through the opening. There were buckskin leather stools. Matching leather booths had leaded glass dividers with burgundy and hunter green and gold accent pieces. The copper ceiling tiles looked original. Andy pined for a close up look, but respectfully followed Sadie through the lobby instead. She'd have time to take it all in at dinner. I'm giving them the grand tour, Rosario. Sadie said as she passed an employee standing behind the reception desk. Their suite is ready if they'd like to rest before the evening meal. Rosario extended two card keys to Andy. Thank you. Do you need my credit card for the reservation? No, ma'am. Your stay is covered, courtesy of Mr. and Mrs. Dunn. It's the least we can do for y'all, coming this long way. Thank you, Sadie. This is amazing. Andy looked around, enchanted by their historic preservation efforts. I only wish we could stay longer. I agree. "'Michael said. "'Although my motives differ from Andy's, "'I want to eat at all three of your restaurants,' "'Michael admitted. "'I'm a chef. "'Your themed menus and cocktails sound excellent. "'Is that what you do for work, Michael?' "'Yes and no. "'I work for a large chain that has 90 locations across the South. "'I started as a prep cook. "'Now I'm a manager. "'I still get to spend some time in the kitchen, "'but not as much as I'd like,' Michael explained. "'Cooking is his genuine passion,' But cooking for a chain didn't offer creative flexibility with recipes and menu design, Andy chimed in. The management position was a promotion. Plus, it's taught me business and operations lessons I didn't learn in culinary school. Lessons that will be incredibly valuable in your future in the restaurant industry. I didn't know you were in the business. What luck! Dunn Enterprise's restaurants are stumbling through a growth period. Can I pick your brain about the restaurant businesses over dinner tonight? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Absolutely. It is the least we can do, Michael said. Andy nodded. Steve and I will meet you at the Bighorn Bar at seven pm. Seven That evening, Andy and Michael met Steve and Sadie at the Bighorn. Steve was a tall man with a firm handshake and a friendly smile. Steve and I often talk about how lucky we are to have started three restaurants in thirteen months and survived those first years making all the mistakes we made. Sadie admitted. Steve nodded in agreement. Two things saved us. We had hotel resources to support the ventures. Capital, infrastructure, and outstanding employees. We had a broad base of customers begging us for food and drink. Hotel guests and locals alike. It sounds and looks like your restaurants are doing great, Michael said, looking around. Every table was full. Servers were rushing by with sizzling steaks, steaming bowls of creamy pasta. I won't argue that, Steve said. But much of that success is because of Mr. Ruiz and his wife, Blanca. They have worked for us for 20 years, building these restaurants into what they are. They actually live in a casita on-site at El Viajaro, but oversee all three restaurants. It was never the plan that they'd manage all three restaurants. It's not sustainable for them, or anyone, Sadie chimed in. They'd like to focus their efforts on Cantina Luga, Steve added. I am confident they will take the Cantina to the next level. But that leaves me in a predicament with the bighorn and the speakeasy. I'm sure you've seen the speakeasy trend in San Antonio. Texas Monthly magazine featured the Orleans speakeasy a few months ago in an article about the resurgence in popularity of speakeasies, Sadie said. About 70% of the speakeasy guests travel from Austin and Dallas specifically to visit the Orleans secret bar. The bar business feeds the hotel, which isn't what we intended, but we'll take it. Steve interrupted. The Bighorn never got the attention it deserves, and has thrived nevertheless, because of its location and influx of tourists wanting to top off their experience of mountain town with local history and regional food and drink. Sadie said. Andy looked around. It was Tuesday night, and the place was packed. Michael spent the evening sharing best practices to attract and retain food service employees. They talked through supply chain issues unique to operating a food business in the remote location. At the end of the night, Michael agreed to serve as a restaurant consultant to help the Duns improve their operations, finances, staffing, and management. It thrilled Andi that she and Michael would be traveling back and forth to Mountaintown regularly. The little town had already captured her heart, and she had never seen Michael this excited about work, Eight, the six-hour drive seems faster every time we return to Mountain Town, Andy told Michael. This was their third trip to Mountain Town, since Michael started consulting for Dunn Enterprises. Andy accompanied him on every trip. She hadn't found another job, not that she had really looked. Michael had encouraged her to not rush into something that felt like settling. His freelance consulting gig paid nearly as much as she made working at Fine Furniture Imports. We don't need to worry about money, he reassured her. Not working also afforded her the flexibility to travel. He liked road tripping with her. They had spent more time together since Andy quit her job than they ever had. Andy enjoyed exploring Mountain Town while Michael worked. Her morning routine was to get a cup of coffee from the Bighorn restaurant and stroll the shops on Main Street. By June, it was already hot in San Antonio, but the elevation and dry air made it feel ten degrees cooler in Mountain Town. Bright yellow and orange prickly pear cactus blossoms lit up the landscape. Desert willow trees showed pretty, white, pink, and maroon flowers. The ridge of blue-gray mountains made a perfect backdrop for the small, friendly town. Andy noticed a for-sale or lease sign in the front window of the Masonic Lodge. She'd passed the two-story building a dozen times, but this was the first time she'd seen the sign. The cornerstone brick said 1912. The same year that the historic Mountain Town Hotel opened for business, the lodge exterior was German brick. It had white decorative molding with an ornate Freemason symbol, square, and compass. Five metal pillars supported a large balcony. Green ivy cascaded from the balcony flower boxes and trailed down the railings. The storefront had two large windows. Andy cupped her hand over her brow and leaned against one to see inside. Hello, Miss! A deep voice startled her. Andy turned around to see a man standing behind her. He had a mischievous look on his face as though he enjoyed starling her. The man wore brown plastic glasses with thick lenses, hiked up denim jeans and suspenders. He was leaning on a cane. I didn't mean to make you jump. He apologized, although he seemed to enjoy it. My name's William Wilder. He extended his hand. Andy shook it and introduced herself. I haven't seen you around here before. Andy, I'm visiting from San Antonio, Andy explained. I love old buildings and was just admiring this one. Would you like to look inside? I'm the old mason who cares for it. He produced keys from his pocket. Really, Andy was thrilled and delighted. Really, I like meeting young folk that care about this stuff. Folks call me Billy? He pulled the keys from his pocket and unlocked the front door. Andy felt like Charlie when Willy Wonka opened the doors of the chocolate factory. The inside of the building had original wood floors, exposed brick walls, and rustic wood-beam ceilings. She guessed the lower level was about 4,000 square feet of space. Has it always been a mason hall? Andy asked. The masons met here from 1912 to 1995. This ground floor housed retail businesses on the ground floor. Billy squinted his eyes in thought. It has been a mercantile, a law office, a utilities office, and a cafe. Do the masons still meet here? Andy asked. There aren't enough masons to fill the restroom these days, he chuckled. When I joined 1963, every man in Mountain Town was a mason. Today, there are so few of us that we hold meetings at a member's house. It's more of a social club than a formal fraternal organization. I'm sorry to hear that, Andy frowned. I mean, I'm sorry that you've lost members and that your beautiful building is just sitting here. Since the 90s, we've rented it out for special events, wedding receptions, holiday parties. But there hasn't been a permanent tenant. We are hoping to change that. Andy peeked her head into a full commercial kitchen, then in the men's and women's restrooms to complete the first floor. Next, she and Billy slowly ascended the staircase to the second level, Andy paused on the landing tread to take pictures. Billy was waiting for her by the time she reached the top of the stairs. The upper-level carpet was pale blue. The color complemented the dark wood trim and interior doors. Natural light beamed through giant windows. These were law offices in the early days, Billy gestured towards the doors. When the building became the Stockyards Cafe in the seventies, the ladies that ran the cafe lived up here. Said they were sisters, but that was a different time. People were quiet about their personal lives. They weren't sisters, Andy asked, confused. They were life partners. The Masons is a boys' club. They might have worried the organization would think twice about renting the building to lesbians. Andy opened each door and peeked in. The rooms had high ceilings and original fireplaces. There was a full bathroom with a clawfoot tub and shower. These rooms are gorgeous, Andy said, admiring the tiny octagon black-and-white bathroom tile Did the Masons kick the couple out? she asked. No, quite the opposite. We held our monthly meeting at the Stockyards Cafe the first Wednesday of the month for 20 years. The ladies closed the restaurant to the public and served a special meal. Chicken fried steak with cream gravy, pork tenderloin and roast taters, barbecue chicken sandwiches. They were the finest cooks west of the Pecos. Billy closed his eyes, savoring the memory of the delicious meals Those women single-handedly increased Mason membership when the Freemason membership numbers everywhere else were dwindling. "'The Master Masons were well aware our Lodge's membership growth was not on our own accord,' Billy chuckled. "'They had the good sense to charge a fair rent, not raise it for twenty years, and compensate the gals kindly for those monthly suppers. They were the last tenants,' Andy recalled Billy's list of former occupants. Yep, Dolores had trouble with her kidneys.' She needed regular dialysis treatments. She couldn't get the medical care she needed in Mountaintown. They closed the cafe and moved. He sighed. Sorry for the TMI. Billy glanced at his watch. I've taken up your morning— Andy waved away his worry. She leaned towards him as though she were about to disclose a secret. The reason I like old buildings and antiques is stories, just like those you've told me. I like to think that people's legacy survives in the things they owned— and places they spent their time—that is a beautiful thought. They walked towards the double-glass doors at the front of the second story. "'I saved the best for last,' Billy said. He unlocked the doors and swung them open wide. Warm, sweet-smelling summer air rushed at them. Andy walked out onto the balcony. It was sparsely furnished with a wrought-iron bistro table with two chairs— The bountiful flower boxes and cascading vines gave it an atmosphere of privacy and exclusivity. What a view, she said, admiring the mountain-rim line above the city. There is the hotel and the bighorn, the train depot. If you like this building, you ought to stop by the courthouse, Billy pointed to a noble limestone structure. Right across from it is the library, another historic building. That there is Carl's Restaurant. It has an old jukebox that works with a dime. Elderwood's Drugstore still serves malts, shakes, and soda from the original fountain in summer. I wish my husband was here to see this. Andy raised her phone to take a panoramic. He's doing some work for the Duns? You don't say. They are good people. How much longer, y'all, in town? We will travel back to San Antonio tomorrow morning. Here. Why don't you take the keys? You can give him a tour this evening. There is not much else to do in Mountain Town on Tuesday night. Really? Really? Andy was taken back that Billy trusted her enough to give her the keys. People were not as friendly or trusting in San Antonio as they are in Mountain Town. Really? Just lock the door and put them in the brass mailbox when you leave. I'll swing by tomorrow to pick them up. Thank you. She clapped her hands together with excitement. He will appreciate this place as much as I do. Ike's Mountain Town's Super S grocery store left a lot to be desired. Andy had the idea of putting together a charcuterie board and wine to serve on the terrace and watch the sunset over the mountains. Super S did not have prosciutto, manchego, or cabernet sauvignon, but she scrounged up summer sausage, sharp cheddar, and box wine from the store's limited selection. No figs, crostini, or calamatas. So Andy rounded out the board with cuties, Ritz crackers, and canned olives. She borrowed a cutting board ceramic plates and wine glasses from the building's kitchen. Despite food supply shortcomings, the board looked fancy-assembled. Andy set it on the bistro and waited for Michael to arrive. She texted him the address and told him to meet her at 7 p.m. At quarter-tia seven, she sat on the balcony and watched him exit the hotel and walk her way. When he was close enough to see her, Andy stood and waved wildly. He spotted her—a huge smile spread across his face. "'How'd you get up there?' he shouted, seeing the building was vacant. "'Door is open.' She pointed to her feet, signaling the entry door beneath the balcony. A few minutes later she embraced him on the balcony. "'Isn't this building amazing? Check out the view.' "'For sure,' he said, trying to take it all in. He turned his attention to Andy, looking at her with curiosity. "'How exactly? It's a long story. I'll tell you all about it over wine and hors d'oeuvres,' Andy said in a bad French accent that made Michael laugh. She told him about her chance meeting with Master Mason William Wilder, a.k.a. Billy. Michael sat at the edge of his seat as she shared what she'd learned about the building and its former tenants. She gave him the grand tour. He was as smitten with the building and its history as she was, which made the next part of her plan easier. Do you remember the night I quit my job? I told you I'd like to open an antique store. He lifted an eyebrow. Michael, this is it. This is the place. I knew it when I first looked in the window. Andy's heart started racing. She tried to contain her excitement. He was always level-headed and rational. She needed to convince him she'd thought through what it would take to uproot their lives, move hundreds of miles away, and start a business. The bottom floor is 4,200 square feet, ideal for a showroom. The storefront has major eye appeal. The building has a paved parking lot in back with a garage door for loading and unloading. She watched Michael take a sip of his wine. He was listening intently. A good sign. Remember when you joked we could live in my shop? The top floor has two bedrooms, one bath. The kitchen is four times the size of our apartment kitchen and has the gas range you always wanted. Andy smiled sweetly. The range is awesome, Michael agreed. Ready for the best part? The rent for the entire building is less than our apartment in San Antonio. Andy's eyes were hopeful. He remembered encouraging her to open her own shop a few months earlier. "'I meant it when I told you that you should go for it. "'And I guess I meant it when I said we could always live in your shop. "'But—' Andy saw hesitation in his eyes. "'What about your job at Papado? Papado is not my dream, but you obviously care about it. "'I care more about you and our future,' Michael said. "'Have you noticed how things have fallen into place since we came to Mountaintown?' The delivery, consulting for the Dunn's, your newfound flexibility to travel? It seems like meet- meeting Billy and discovering this building, its availability on the market after 111 years. I have to believe it's all happening for a reason. Michael reached across the bistro and placed his free hand on hers. I'm excited about the Dunn's restaurants. I guess it makes me a bad consultant, but I want to ask Steve for a permanent job to implement the changes we've discussed. That's amazing, Andy cheered him on. Miguel and Blanca will manage the cantina. Steve recently hired a mixologist from Austin to oversee the speakeasy. He needs culinary leadership for the Bighorn. I want to convince him I'm his man, Michael explained. I've already reworked the menu with my recipes. Steve and Sadie love it. Rosario, the hotel manager, and the rest of the staff are eager to make the changes. I'd be proud to prepare and serve that menu every day, to take ownership and responsibility for a restaurant like the Bighorn. A dozen black-chinned hummingbirds were buzzing around the flower boxes to get a last drink before dusk. The sky turned salmon and lavender. Andy and Michael held hands as the sun sank behind the mountains. They savored the end of the day as it symbolized the end of their old life and beginning anew in Mountain Town.